The following is a conversation. It has the features of any conversation, such as imperfectly expressed thoughts, ill-considered opinions, and the notions of several sleep-deprived brains. Try not to get your stethoscope in a twist about it. Hi. This is what we call the cold open. And my question to you is one that I should have made up a long time ago before this very moment, but I did not do that today. So, such an ass. <laughs> do you guys ever get this like, like you have this idea that I could just start talking and then by the time I get to the end of the sentence, I will, you know, have something to actually say. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Has happened. I mean, I feel like my MO all the time and I'm, I shouldn't do things that way. Should not do things that way. But I think you like, got to finish the sentence. I, I don't have a sentence. That's the problem. That's the problem. I do not have a. I literally have nothing to say, which is you know for the cold open. That's not great. What should I say, Trent? What should I? What should we? Ta- what? What? What well, should think, the cold open be about? You brought us into a conversation about small talk already. Yeah. I mean, it, There's nothing people like in a podcast more than small talk. Oh, exactly. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Such an idiot. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Shortcoat Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Shortcoat Podcast. It's a show that gives you an inside look at medical school from the students drinking from that fire hose. It's a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler, and with me today in the SCP studio, my co-hosts, all second-year students. His nephew is a firm believer in beer tanning. It's Trent Gilbert. Hi, hi everyone. Her cousin is detoxifying her colon even as we speak. It's Yumi Engelking. Engelking. Hi, everyone. Did I do it? Okay, yeah. Good. Yeah. Excellent. Her daddy likes to tuck a Tide Pod between his cheek and gum. It's Maddie Romberg. <laughs> hi. And her grandma's recipe for NyQuil chicken is a closely guarded family secret. It's Bridget Easler. Hi. So my question, my my little intro for y'all this week is motivated by the borax thing I keep hearing about. Have you guys heard about borax lately? People consuming borax on social media because it's like an alternative dubious medical reasons. Like it will help with my inflammation. What? Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Why why are we like this as a society? Why do we do this to ourselves? Somebody answer me this question. But yeah, don't don't eat don't eat borax. Please. It's not really a thing you should do. I love questions from our listeners, because although I can make stuff up all day long to talk about on this show, when you listeners send in a question or a comment, you've now told me what you want us to talk about. And Jordan did exactly that when she DM'd me this week. I like this question because y'all will be starting to go through this within the next few months. And and so let's hear from uh, let's hear from Jordan. I love the podcast. Whenever classmates or fellow medical students ask for advice or talk about podcasts, I always recommend the short coat. So I'm struggling a bit with rotations and finding a balance between two approaches to succeed, learn, and get good evaluations. I was in the ER this weekend for the first time and struggled. 
I felt like I was constantly in the way, but also like I wasn't doing enough, but also I didn't want to detract from the patient's care when it was someone who came in for chest pain or stroke symptoms. Any advice on how to find the balance between these two approaches and rotations? 1. Have more initiative but also potentially be in the way, impede patient care, come off as a know-it-all, overstepping bounds, be a pain for the physician, or 2. Take more of an observatory role in situations where you don't feel comfortable or confident, don't want to be in the way, and you want to see how the team functions. This is a fantastic question, and I want to know if you guys have had any thoughts about this yet, or have worried about this at all. I mean, you have done some, you've had clinical experiences at this point. Can, you know, even though you haven't done this yet, is, are there observations that you can make about how that works and how that might, how we might answer Jordan's question? I was in the ER for my early clinical experience, so I have like a very tiny taste of what Jordan kind of wrote about feeling like in the way or just like there's a lot going on in the room. There's a lot of providers trying to get their hands on, you know, the different medications and the patient and all the different machines and computers and recording. There's a lot going on. And so if you're not confident, it's hard to feel like you can be helpful. ER is a tough one. People are like people are like trying to get shit done. People may be, you know, sort of actively dying. People may be very badly hurt. You certainly have very little to contribute, probably, in those situations medically. Yeah. The thing that I found helpful was, like, taking hold of the things I did know. So if I, like, if I could do something on my own, do it on my own, even if it was, like, something that wasn't super medical, like getting someone a blanket or, like, getting the water, like, doing things that, like, so that the physician I was working with didn't have to tell a nurse to do it so that I could just, like take something off their plate and then the other thing that i saw some of the like older or the more advanced med students doing was like drafting notes or like looking at the like the imaging and stuff as it came in and then having their impression on it but asking the physician hey this is what i kind of think what do you think yeah yeah that's fantastic you've touched on two things i wanted to discuss which was you know rely on your more senior students A lot of times you'll be doing, especially in core rotations like ER and OB and things like that, you're going to be with not just students in your own year, but maybe there'll be a fourth year med student doing a sub-I, something along those lines. They've been around a few times. They kind of know sort of the things. Yeah, they'll just have more experience and they'll be able to tell you, okay, this team likes doing it this way kind of thing. And I feel like it's kind of part of their job too, to assist the younger, the less experienced medical students. So that's definitely one way you could do that. And then I think Jordan's instincts are correct that in an emergent situation or a situation where things are you know happening very quickly, it's probably a great time to observe. You can still watch for times when you can be helpful. And you said this, I know, you know, you can hold a patient's hand and be helpful. That's a, that's probably, you know, as long as you're not getting in the way of, you know, as long as their hand is not off and they're trying to put it back on, that's probably a good thing to do. I mean, you know, it would help be helpful to the people around you to have a calm or a patient. But yeah, uh, another, I know one thing that I read sometimes in comments. So you guys don't know this, but I help draft the medical student performance evaluations that get sent to prospective residency programs in the fourth year and so i read a lot of comments from the clerkships and one thing that i read is 
you know, this person was very helpful in like preparing things ahead of time. Maybe they carried around dressing changes, but supplies, I don't know exactly, but you know, finding those areas that you can be helpful and being ready to assist, you know, without getting in the way. But again, if it's, if something's going crazy, probably best time to, to take a step back. It definitely sounds to me like, well, first of all, I feel like it's an unattainable goal to like not get contradictory evals because you know everybody that's evaluating you has different expectations and they don't communicate them to you i mean i think you're inevitably going to get comments that you're reading for the first time you know you had no idea they felt that way until they felt that way and you know wrote it on an eval right but i definitely think there's like a theme that like the people that kind of just want you to stand out of the way and observe are the same people that want you to always have things ready for them. Uh-huh. And I know that there's also, I mean, that's kind of a trap because you might show up on day one and they're frustrated with you because you don't know what they need, but they, despite that, want you to have exactly what they need. Yeah. But I mean, I, I think that's like kind of terrifying, right? But I mean, I think you can definitely try to like talk to older students and see, well, rotating on this word, what are the things that people tend to want you to have around? Yeah. Because I mean, I mean, maybe that somewhat mitigates, you know, the people that are looking for ways to be frustrated with you. But I think also I'm going to at least try to go into it with a mindset that like, you can't please everybody. You can only do the best that you can do and be responsive to the feedback that you do get. Yeah. And yeah. Fair. yeah, yeah and you're not going to, and you know, especially when you're just starting out with your core rotations, you're probably not going to get it quite right. It's fine. Nobody really expects you to just jump right in and be able to do the things. That's That would be absurd. I did ask a few people for some comments. And one of those is our student affairs and curriculum dean and vice chair of urology, Chris Cooper. Let's hear what Dr. Cooper had to say. So this situation is common, not only in medicine, but I think anybody who's taking on a new role or a new job, right? You want to show that you're engaged, you're efficient and everything, yet you don't know how. And so I think these feelings are are common. I think they're natural. My, My advice would be better to go a little bit slow, you know, be there, be present, be willing to help out if asked. But until you know what to do, I think it's better not to jump in and do the wrong thing. But give yourself a little bit of slack and you can show your enthusiasm in other ways. I like that advice. And one of the ways that I have seen people show enthusiasm is by contacting, like if you know who you're going to be working with the next day for the first time, reach out to them. Tell them, hey, I'm going to be working with you tomorrow. Just wanted to, to you know, touch base with you. And, you know, I have some goals for my clerkship. You know, maybe I'm not going into emergency medicine, but this is this may be the only time I get to see emergency medicine. And I, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, Odo and, you know, maybe there are, maybe there are aspects of emergency medicine that really apply to Odo that I can learn from here. So, so that's number one. And number two this is my first clinical rotation or this is, you know, this is the first time I'm doing this. So, you know, I hope you, I hope we can talk about what it is you expect from me as far as being helpful. I've heard people comment and say, you know, reached out to me the day before her clerkship. And that was very, I I appreciated that initiative. So that's kind of cool. 
I think that's a great tip. Yeah. I, I think then you get to see what you're like most interested in if it's not that specialty. And then you like also are reaching out and like already building that connection. And I feel like that's half the battle with mm-hmm. your evals is having a mm-hmm. connection yeah. with the person who's evaluating you. Yeah. You're showing initiative. You're showing that you're interested in what they have to offer. And yeah, maybe you're not going to be in the ER doc, but. I think there's also this myth that you should, and we talked about it on the show before, there's this myth that you should pretend to be, yeah, pretend to want to go into whatever specialty you're on yeah. so that you yeah. get good evals. And I mean, okay, that's a piece of advice right there. I just, I'm not sure I buy it. I'm not sure that I think it's, I think the better option is to be like, again, I don't know what it is. I don't. You know, I don't want to be an ER doc, but I really do want to learn from this experience. So I feel like it's good just to demonstrate that you're open minded to the experience and that like even if it's not what you want to do, that yeah, you're still really going to engage with it. I think that's I can't imagine anybody would give you a bad eval. Yeah, Yeah. I feel like authentic interest is Um, a lot more valuable than inauthentic, like fake interest. I think people can tell. Yeah, I don't know. A lot of times. Yeah, I remember somebody had like the story that like they were doing a rotation like general surgery and they said, well, you know, I'm actually more interested in internal medicine. And then from then on, the people they were working with would be like, oh, you should go see that patient. That's pretty medicine heavy. And I just thought that was kind of striking, right? It's helpful, right? Because, you know, I think like the gut instinct is like the people you know in that profession or well subspecialty right it's all the same profession mm. they you know maybe they'd be offended by you you know saying you're not interested from the start i think they're pretty aware that there's a wide choices. range yeah. of possibilities but yeah. but yeah i think you're right right like first of all you know they have a lot more going on than to be offended by you not being super interested in their specialty but i think also you get a lot of respect for if you know don't make it clear you're not going to pretend but you follow up with still being enthusiastic about participating and showing up and you know do what you would do if you were interested in that specialty i think you get a lot of respect from that and people do kind of remember that from evals like that person told me they're not that interested but you know i still really liked working with them that i mean i think it also might be kind of a relief for them i mean they're how many med students are they going to have to teach this year and you know I would say probably 50, I'll arbitrarily say like 50% of them will arrive like head empty about <laughs> about what it is that they want out of this clerkship. And then, you know, the other half arrives with like, you know, here's what I, here's the, here are the ideas that I have. I can see that being super helpful to the person. Oh, like now I know what this person wants out of me. It's not a generic you know, teach me medicine kind of. Yeah. I think it's better to go into your clerkships with a little bit more direction than just being like, yeah, let me have it. Let me have it all. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Doesn't mean you can't change your mind. No. Yeah, absolutely. Short coats. We love to hear from you no matter what it's about. So call us at three, four, seven short CT with questions, shower thoughts, complaints about your situation, whatever you like. We'll talk about it on the show. Here's another one from Maca- no, sorry, Bullware Learning Community Director Ben Reinking. Striking the balance between being an active team member and being an observer is tricky. And it can be particularly tricky as a student when you rotate between teams and providers. 
regularly and may not have enough time to establish a working relationship that's consistent with one team. I think it's important to point out that you can learn a lot by being an active team member. You can also learn a lot by being an observer. So don't be frustrated by the days when you're less active on the team. Take advantage of that time to watch what people do well, watch what they don't do well, you know, steal sort of their best practices from them so you can incorporate them into your practice later on. With regard to kind of striking the balance on your own, I think there are a couple approaches that you can take. One is to just be upfront and ask whoever you're working with what their expectations are. So what do they expect of you during a routine visit? What do they expect of you during an emergent or urgent situation? In the instances when an urgent or emergent situation arises, speak up and say, how can I be helpful? It may be in the moment that the person you ask says, hey, go stand over here, I want you to just watch. You know, that's okay, take that advice and take up the opportunity to watch and observe and learn from that. Otherwise, most people may have a task or something for you to do so that you can be an active member of the team. The next approach would be to be upfront with whoever you're working with about your sort of goals and maybe your current struggle. And you could approach them and just say, hey, I'm trying to strike the balance between being an active team member and being an observer. I don't want to get in the way. You know, can you give me some feedback at the end of the day on how I did as in, how I did incorporating myself into the team? And that way they know sort of that's on your mind and they may be able to give you some helpful tips and tricks throughout your rotation. I hope that advice is helpful. Have a good day. Reactions. That was really detailed. Yeah. yeah thorough. Very thorough. Yeah. That's why I asked him. <laughs> I knew he would have. I knew he would have things to say. He's Pete's cardiology. I don't know if that helps put his answer into context mm-hmm. for you, but lovely man. <laughs> Yeah, what do you think about his advice? I feel like it's a good way to like start off your interaction with that provider and establish that early. But I think it would be more natural for me to ask after the first day, be like, how did I do? How did I do today? Like, was I in the way? Was I being helpful? How could I be more helpful tomorrow? Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, I feel and like, I think you'll get a feeling yeah. a little bit f- pretty quickly about, you know, what people are doing and what people maybe areas that you could have done better or maybe areas where you did okay and you can talk about those things mm-hmm. and sort of get that feedback and you know don't be surprised if they're like well I had a little different perspective on that one of the things I was thinking about when I was listening to Jordan's question initially was that it, it's sort of hard to move it's, it's sort of hard to go you know observing is okay and I understand this because one of the things that I read from comments is so and so needs to speak up more which I take to mean I'm not really sure what he or she knows, or I'm not really sure what he or she is thinking, and that's, that means it's hard to evaluate them. I think being a quiet person is fine, but it does make it a little tough to, to get to know you as a student and to evaluate you. It's mm-hmm. kind of, that's kind of something to sort of keep in the back of your head when you're, you know, if you think you're a pretty quiet person, you know, I don't know how to change that. <laughs> I'm a loud person. I don't have I don't have this problem. People sometimes tell me to in my office to keep it down because we're trying to have a medical school here. But <laughs> well, oh well, it's just who I am. You know, always kind of have an idea what I'm thinking because I'm probably saying it. I get that feedback sometimes and actually a lot. <laughs> it must be so irritating because how do you suddenly become an outgoing person? Yeah, I like I 
have kind of accepted that not and not even in a bad way because I think that there's some strengths to being a little bit more reserved sometimes but like when it comes to getting evaluations I think you put it in a really clear way is that you have to give them something to work with which I feel like that when I am thinking about it like that like if I'm going into a situation where I know that someone's going to need to say something about how I'm doing or how I'm performing, then it's a tough one. I have to give them, you know, and that helps me to be kind of more mm-hmm. outgoing <laughs> if I know I like need to be. <laughs> I guess it's something you could practice. I, I'm not really sure. Yeah. Like if you have someone to say it, like yeah. if the setting is right. Yeah. Go ahead. Say something. Let's practice. On the spot. Yeah. Say something. What opinion? What's a controversial opinion you have? Oh, my God. That is such a hard question. (laughs) Tell us something that will get you canceled. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I don't don't think I can do that. You don't have to do that. It's fine. That's like... (laughs) really outgoing. My whole goal is to not get you canceled. That's my job on this show. (laughs) Okay, so last quote I have is from M. I guess he's going to be an M4 now. My little babies are growing up. M4, <laughs> Matt Angleton. He is, yeah, he's got Wait, a, he'll be on M3. He's a year above us. He's only a year above okay, us. Okay, good. He's not leaving yet. I mean, I'm, okay. Good for you, Matt. I'm glad you're sticking. <laughs> anyway, here, Matt, Matt's got a semester or so under his belt at this point. So I think he knows what he's on about. So I think that knowing how much to do and when to do it is one of the hardest parts, especially when you're in a situation you've never really been in before. I think times like clinic, it might be a little easier because, you know, it's always behind. There's always people that need things done. So it's easy to say, oh, I'm going to be helpful and go into this patient room or maybe like do an extra thing or start the note. Those are all things that you can do that are helpful. But in times, especially like in the OR, if you're not sure what you should do or in the ER when there's a trauma situation or something like that. A lot of times, if you're trying to be all gung-ho, the only thing that you can really do is get in the way. And that's something that is hard, but it's something that you have to do, realize you're in the way, and then learn from it and try your best. I think the other big thing is, at least from my experience, people realize when I do something. They don't necessarily realize when I don't. And so times like, you know, getting in the way, if you're like constantly like breaking scrub or something, those are things they'll remember. But if you don't know what to do and you step back, they won't remember that as long as there's aspects of you stepping up and doing things that are helpful. So like, for example, maybe in a trauma setting, you're like, I want to observe because if I try to get my hands on the patient, the only thing that it'll do is make people mad. But then on another time, if somebody comes in, say, with chest pain or shortness of breath, if you go in and ask the resident, per se, hey, I want to see this patient. It looks like they've been waiting for a little bit. Can I do that? That shows that you're taking initiative and you're not getting in the way. You're just helping. I found that the best time that I've been able to do that is in clinic. But there's a lot of situations that you can be helpful. Like, for example, in the OR, being able to get the patient ready. A lot of times that's something that the rest of the team doesn't have time for or forgets about or on rounds. If you're going to be changing dressings and stuff, having those supplies ready ahead of time. I know that the 
doctors and residents and everyone else really like. So kind of recognizing the situations of like, when are people trying to do something and it's not readily there versus times where it looks like a well-oiled machine when it's a well-oiled machine don't get in the way but if they're you know fumbling for something if you see that being a trend that's a situation where you can say oh yeah i have tape in my pocket let me give that to you yeah i've read comments like it was really good with the peds patients just playing with them while i did the exam these are things that you don't really think of as like the job of somebody who's learning medicine, but they're super helpful. Um, yeah. They are super helpful going in to talk to a patient who, you know, maybe is a little frustrated and finding out more about why they're frustrated with mm-hmm. their experience. And then you can bring that back to the team and say, Hey, I was talking to this patient. They're really confused about their treatment or they're really upset about this. I have a suggestion or I'm not really sure what to do about it, but I thought you might like to know, you know, these kind of you're as a medical student, you have in some ways more time in this situation than anybody else. So you actually have some flexibility. You can go in and have these sorts of interactions with people that Mm -hmm. they're just not going to have a chance to have. And you could discover something about their treatment or about their plan or about whatever's going on that could really kind of turn it around for them. And also kind of have a nice time meeting some, some interesting people who are going through probably one of the more difficult times of their lives. I think Matt's advice about not screwing up, like it's better to stand back than to like mess things up more is good because that I guess that's really practical. Like they're not going to evaluate on the things you didn't do as long as you're doing things at other times when it like makes sense to contribute yeah yeah i feel like mastering like the study of the psychology of grudges like if you could do that <laughs> you could probably do so well with feedback just to be like constantly predicting you know if i do this is that something they're gonna remember when i request feedback from them in two weeks what's that saying like people will remember how not what you said, said or did, but how you, made, but them how you made them feel. Yeah, yeah like exactly. People will remember stuff. I mean, not sometimes you're like, really? That's what took. I mean, what, what are you gonna do? Yeah, for you to remember that. But I mean, it's also so weird to me that you are choosing who you ask for feedback. And I know That's a really lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, maybe you have to pretty. You end up asking pretty much everyone you interacted with. I don't know how many people you have to request feedback. It, you from, know, it does. It's different in different clerkships. Like, like. Mm-hmm. Some clerkships just blast out like a list of students right. to eval and other ones you're like, you have to ask the clerkship. Oh, I, I mean, it's it, it's just going to vary. Which kind of why that's like very awkward. I mean, I think from the beginning you have to like confront like the inner intrinsic awkwardness of constantly asking people for feedback yeah. because, mm-hmm. well, it, it's required of you to just do that. It's but, also but, required but I mean, of them I, to give you feedback. If, if you do something like you mess up and you can tell that person, you know, is peeved about it, <laughs> maybe make a note. And uh, if you don't have to request an eval from that person, maybe don't request that eval. But also don't worry about it. I know people don't want to get bad evals. I know this. I know. We're medical students. We're going to worry I about know. it. No, <laughs> but the bad evals are helpful too, you know? It's so hard. Yours is, I don't know a lot about other professional education situations like lawyering or nursing or whatever. I do suspect that medicine is one of the weirder ones because you're constantly being evaluated on things like 
your personality or things that seem like your personality or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, so-and-so is quiet. Uh, you know, like, that's kind of... That is kind of weird. That's kind of weird. <laughs> it's kind of a weird thing. I don't know. Well, even we're, like, asked to evaluate just an inordinate number of lectures, you know. Yeah. I know it's a requirement from, like, the LCME. and, and That's where this all is coming well, from. The when they make us evaluate our peers. Yeah. yeah. But like, that also, always feels so yeah. icky. I, oh, feels yeah. Like people, wrong. oh, you could do a whole episode. On, I think you could, you could send out an invite, like, if you were mad about the feedback you got in anatomy peer feedback, <laughs> like, oh sign up gosh. for this podcast or submit a recording, because there are people that can tell you some stories for sure, but... I think what kind of feedback the, are they give are you getting in, in anatomy? There are oh stories my gosh. of like I, I think like when they tell send it the first time people didn't some people, people didn't grasp that. that it would go straight to the people you were evaluating. <laughs> so they wrote some things that names. they should not have written you Oops. know or one would hope they would not have written had they known that it would go straight to that person yeah you don't know who it was but i think people get ideas like you can pretty when quickly when it's a group of six you can come, narrow come it down to conclusion yeah. like well i know that person probably isn't oh, gonna write that i would if i had um, submitted an evaluation that was like you know trent's a jackass <laughs> well, and then later it was like went right to trent i'd be like oh my god yeah. I'm, I'm going to crawl into a hole now and well, then it's like Survivor Island and you're like trying to figure out who voted for who and like you're making these alliances. It's so funny. But <laughs> it sounds like something they should probably let I, you know ahead of time. I think about like I think they did. I think some people just failed to read the directions. <laughs> but Oh good. I knew they couldn't I knew they wouldn't do that. They're too smart for that. Shortcoats, if you're enjoying our conversation today, I'd be grateful if you'd let people know by posting a story on Instagram or Facebook or tweeting about us. And don't forget to tag us in your post. Thank you. For like things like lecture feedback, though, I think that's like an like the like psychology of grudges again. You know, you're made to fill out so many evaluations. You're not. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe some people take time on every single eval, but. I Probably at- not. But you will take time on the one that you're mad about, especially like <laughs> people will take them like the weekend after the test. And I think that impacts evals. And then I've heard the perspective. Yeah. I think like these evals that we submit for lectures like actually becomes part of like tenure packages for the faculty yeah. giving these mm-hmm. lectures. And I feel so bad for the people that get stuck giving lectures that no matter how you present it, not a single person was going to think you did a good job. Like, yeah. I- I'm sorry, but kidney pathology there's no way you're going to teach that you could be the world's best expert and world's best teacher and nobody's going to come out of that and be like i really think i should give that person an excellent review it's only yes. going to be the people that are like thank Kidney you that was a wonderful experience the, the very worst thing that i did that the, the test questions were absurd how was i ever supposed to get this right you know and then that's what's reflecting on people so so i think like that's like there to say like you never escape the feedback it's uh, it's always there even at the bottom of the food chain people hold grudges and, i was asked uh, to do subvert expectations i was asked to make a video which the first years will all see i believe that was about how to do an evaluation a lecture evaluation properly because i think there are you know times when people are like i know that there are times there was a direct quote that i used in the video of like you idiots you know like 
<laughs> this is the dumbest thing I've ever had to do. And it's like, that's not cool, you guys. That's not how I thought the- for a second you're gonna read one of my emails. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This gets at so like when you miss a question on exams, you only see the ones that you missed and you can give comments. Yes. Yeah. And I've always that is so thought toxic. people must cross the line in what they're writing sometimes. And I it's know it's a terrible time. I to know ask for that's not anonymous. Yes. Like I've heard I've definitely heard like but people that wrote the question, like the lectures, they get like the comments that they got and they are not anonymized. You know exactly. I think the lecturers I think the lecturers don't see the names. I think, I think the exam I think, comments are tagged to you. Yeah, yeah. If you oh, okay. give if like I, that, question, question. that question was really bad. I'm I've heard that yes, the lecturers can see who gave that question. And I mean I think a lot of the time the lecturer isn't somebody that would know the person that, who's got their sure, name sure. there but i've always wondered us like has there ever been a case where somebody's written something so incendiary or like insulting in the comments that yes. somebody had to follow up and be like those aren't anonymous by the way <laughs> what are you doing i i don't know how an anonymous all of the different kinds of feedback are i do know that there that our curriculum managers like carry and i do know that they spend some time not sanitizing, but, you know, m- making things a little bit more digestible, g- digestible by the because, I mean, you good feedback is not going to piss off the person receiving the feedback. That's just a way to. It just doesn't work very well. It's not very helpful to the cause of making things better. So. I thought like even nowadays, like provider getting feedback from patients, right, online and they're getting reviews. Mm. And a lot of times it's when patients are not happy with, you know, whatever yeah. the procedure. And that's why when patients want to give feedback. If you it, get if you have ever worked in customer service, which for better or for worse, <laughs> medicine is a customer service business. You know that you will get much more negative feedback than you will positive feedback. I guess what I would say about that is I... That makes me know that when I give my positive feedback, that's really having an impact on somebody. So mm-hmm. I try to you know, do that occasionally. Mm-hmm. But yeah, man, that's yeah, a tough Basically, one. every time you like chat, have to like do online chat or you have to call for help for, you know, a customer service agent, it does always ask you, will you give us a perspective on how you felt after it? And yeah, I'm scared of those. You got to think like way more thumbs downs than thumbs ups. I'm scared of those things because I feel like if you get anything less than a four, that person's getting fired. I don't know. Like, I just have this suspicion like. Yikes. I got some people fired then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, let's be real. If you are, if if it's like the case where you have to call or chat with them, there's obviously something you care enough about to be spending time doing that. And like oftentimes like it's just the person you talk to is, you know isn't able to do what you're asking I, right? yeah it's I was not just usually say, they're unwilling yeah it's that they're they cannot do it yeah right and but like obviously if somebody is like rate your support experience after that you're not gonna be like well thumbs up because i i didn't get what i wanted but that person yeah that's not that person's fault. Yeah, I feel like mm-hmm. half the time those reviews are more of a reflection of the problem than the person who's like trying to mitigate the problem. I had a bathroom, a small bathroom remodeled recently and I wasn't happy. And I contacted the owner of the business and I was like, look, your guy's really nice. He's really nice. He showed up on time. He, you know, listened to what I needed, 
done and all that kind of stuff. I just think the attention to detail wasn't there. And I just wanted to let you know. And he was like, thank you for being so pleasant about it, which, you know, was kind of my goal. Like I've been around the block a few times. I know how feedback is Mm -hmm. from customers. I know that people can be real jackasses. I don't want to be that guy. So I felt kind of good. Like I, I gave the feedback in a way that was digestible, that was helpful, that was useful. And he's like, we'll send somebody back. We'll fix it. It's fine. Thank you for letting us know. And I was like, that guy probably gets, I don't know, probably hears from people, angry people all the time. Yeah. I felt good about it. People that go straight to the, on the, the Better Business Bureau. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, this person scammed me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, I have an exercise I want to try. Okay. Stories bind us together. They convey information in a way that mere facts and figures just cannot do. And it's a lesson that doctors and scientists, I think, are still learning in this time when trust in science and medicine is low. So how do scientists and doctors convince people that there is no such thing as a juice cleanse or that borax isn't something that you should consume? This is power of stories. So to demonstrate the power of stories, I've had this story written by my assistant chat gpt it's the story of the radiologist and his magic chicken i'm going to read it dramatically and you guys will all provide the most important part the sound effects oh god (laughs) (laughs) lord help me the sound effects you me i'm gonna task you with making the noises that the doctor makes in this story the radiologist makes Okay. Okay. Trent, you will be responsible for the sounds of the magic chicken. God. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. Bridget and Maddie, you will do Foley. This is the background sounds that will tie everything together. Things like crowd noises and footsteps and okay. and things like that. Are we ready to try this? Yeah, I'm thrilled to be the chicken. Are we? <laughs> I'm so glad you're the chicken. <laughs> just, uh. So there's no dialogue in this. It, it, you'll just be, you know, pretending to make noises like the chicken or the doctor or whatever, or the crowd or whatever, just as background. Are you ready? Once upon a time, in the mystical land of Radiologyville, there lived a skilled radiologist named Dr. Yumi. She was... (laughs) She was renowned for her ability to decipher even the most perplexing x-rays. You can go ahead and make a doctor sound. (laughs) helping countless patients with her diagnostic experience however dr yumi had a secret companion that made her skills even more magical a chicken named clara buck buck no (laughs) come on give it a good give it a good chicken I think we need to do the wings. Yeah, do the wings. Do the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) So do the chicken dance. Now, Clara was no ordinary chicken. She possessed a rare gift, the ability to see patterns and images in the x-rays, just like a human. Whenever Dr. William faced a difficult case... Oh, no! (laughs) He would seek Clara's guidance. Buck... The two now she look she's putting her she's giving her everything you got to do it too uh, yeah cluck cluck the two would sit side by side examining X rays together with Clara clucking softly to indicate her insights 
Puck puck. It's <laughs> <laughs> not going well. We uh, should have made Trent audition for this role. I just the chicken sounds are not my thing. I'm sorry. Should we have? Should we switch roles? Okay, you are now the chicken, Maddie. Okay. And Trent is Foley. Remember, Foley, you got to be doing sounds. I don't know if we've done any sounds yet. Yeah, I was. I wasn't sure what background was radiologist background. Yeah, we'll get there. One day, the kingdom of radiologyville faced a crisis. Dun dun dun. (laughs) (laughs) A mysterious illness swept swept through the land, affecting many of its residents. The normal diagnostic methods proved inadequate in identifying the root cause of the affliction. Terror. What's the sound of terror? Yeah. (laughs) Does a chicken have to also be terrified? No, no. (laughs) The kingdom's people turned to Dr. William and his magical chicken, Clara, for help us, Dr. William. Help us, Clara. (laughs) Please. As they dove into the sea of x-rays, Dr. William and Clara discovered a recurring pattern in the images of the affected patients. They noticed a faint, almost invisible shadow in the corner of each x-ray. Yes. Yes. (laughs) This shadow had gone unnoticed by other radiologists, but Clara's sharp eyes saw its significance. Determined (laughs) to find a cure, Dr. William and Clara embarked on a quest to unravel the mystery of the shadow. Their journey led them through enchanted forests. Uh, <laughs> I'll just be like... Yeah. Nothing says enchanted forests like that. And across treacherous mountains. Like the crunching of... How would you make a crunching noise? Like crunching of feet. Wow. That was impressive. Yeah. I've been practicing. Meeting various fantastical creatures along the way. Each encounter tested their wits and strength. But they pressed on, fueled by the desire to save their kingdom. (laughs) In the final battle against an evil sorceress, they learned the truth. The sorceress had cast a powerful spell. (laughs) Concealing a malevolent creature within the kingdom's radiographs. This creature fed off the life force of the people, causing the mysterious illness. I need a creature noise. Um, num, num. What? Um, <laughs> num. Armed with knowledge and bravery, Dr. William and Clara confronted the sorceress. <gasps> yes! <laughs> Using their combined wisdom and magical prowess, they broke the spell, banishing the malevolent creature from the x-rays forever. The kingdom of Radiologyville was saved! Woohoo! Woohoo! Yes! <laughs> and the people rejoiced. News of their heroic deeds spread like wildfire, reaching every corner of the kingdom. Dr. William and Clara were hailed as saviors of radi- Radiologyville. Thank Long. you. Woohoo. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you don't sound very thankful. And they became beloved. Well, she's quiet. <laughs> and they became beloved figures throughout the land. Patients traveled from far and wide to seek their expertise, and Clara's reputation as the X ray whisperer grew. Okay. That was my whisper. Oh, okay. In gratitude for their courage and selflessness, the king of Radiologyville granted Dr. William and Clara a magical home, a cozy cottage nestled within the heart of their kingdom. There, they continued to help those in need, spreading healing and hope. Hooray! Yes, you've done it. 
I don't know if that was successful or not. I enjoyed that was rocky reading <laughs> i enjoyed reading the, uh, the fake fairy tale i hope you all learned something what do you, what's the what is the moral of this story i enjoy faking a radiologist although i never thought of i would never want to be a radiologist you did it <laughs> i did thought it. i'd want to be a chicken either <laughs> i think somebody needs to like contact pixar and be like oh, this, is this a, can be your follow-up to ratatouille an, yeah this is an epic let me tell you a story about the town of radiologyville <laughs> <laughs> yeah it reminds people of the power of compassion wisdom the magic that exists in the most unexpected place this is all the bullshit chat gpt is <laughs> giving me so um, chat gpt it came up with radiologyville the whole thing i what just, was the prompt you gave it i gave it some rules for fairy tales okay some things that i found online and the characteristics of fairy tales things like you know they usually have magical animals and you know there's moral and all that kind of stuff and then i said it's about a radiologist and his magic chicken and that's all i said and gave me the rest. This technology it blows scary. my there mind. There was like an episode of This American Life where they interviewed a bunch of Microsoft employees like on the AI team. Yeah. And they talked about like the ChatGPT that's free and online is pretty, I mean, it's pretty advanced, but it doesn't do that much generating of new ideas. Like no. it mostly regurgitates things that it's No, this seen. is a terrible but, story. But, like but this is not a well-written story. GPT, <laughs> the newer version, you know, the paid version, like blew those same people away. Yeah. Like they legitimately could, were kind of scared yeah. of what it would, what it could do. And I think like, yeah, I don't know. You're going to see a lot more of the kingdom of radiologyville coming from it because it... Yeah. So maybe it, this could it, be a recurring feature on the show where we continue the stories yeah, yeah. of Dr. Yumi and I kept changing it back and forth from Dr. Yumi to Dr. William. I'm, I apologize for that. I, I don't know why I did that. Chap GPT decided that the radiologist was male and I was like, oh, that can't be that. But I, well, it could have been the last name. I didn't, ma- I, I didn't correct it. I should have. But yeah, I mean, maybe we can continue to follow the, the exploits of radiology radiology <laughs> you can totally start like a new topic just about how ai going to impact medicine i we've done we've talked about it from our lowly we don't know what's going on exactly perspective i just think i'm still surprised by this technology well that's our show trent maddie yumi bridget thanks for being on the show with me today Thanks for having us. And what kind of evil villain would I be if I didn't think you shortcuts making us part of your week? If you're new and you like what you heard today, follow the show wherever fine podcasts are available, like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. The producer of this episode is me, Dave Etler. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our music is by Dr. Vox and Catmosphere. I'm Dave Etler saying, don't let the bastards get you down. Talk to you in one week. Hi, Shortcoats. Look, life in medical education, life in America, life in the world is often difficult. And I often wish I could help. All I have is this podcast, but in my wildest dreams, you have the support you need to lead a life of your choosing. You deserve to be happy, healthy, and successful in whatever ways you define those words. So if you need support because you've experienced racism, discrimination, harassment, mental health crises, I want you to be able to get the help that you need. 
And so I'm going to put some links in the show notes to some resources that you can use. But the bottom line is that for what it's worth, I see you. I know you're out there. I wish I could do more. Maybe I can in ways that I don't understand yet or know about. But I see you and I'm glad you're here and other people are too. This Short Code Podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com.